Namaste, everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. All right. Today's discussion is titled The Limits of Academic Freedom. So just to give you guys a brief background of why we wanted to have a discussion about this. So recently, if you've been to Abhinav's uh, Twitter account, Abhinav has been uh, sharing a lot of interesting academic papers from the Tata Institute of Social Sciences, which uh, talk about extremely, I don't know the word I should be using, (laughs) absurd thoughts uh, under the garb of academic freedom. So I reached out to Abhinav and I was like, I think we need to have a broader discussion about this because Abhinav did talk about this per se on his channel. So so I reached out to Abhinav and I told him that Abhinav, we need a broader discussion how do we decipher what are the limits of uh, academic freedom and uh, it was very nice of uh, Abhinav to agree to come on the podcast so as always Abhinav thanks for coming thank you Kushal it's always a pleasure to be on your show all right Abhinav so let's let's start with this Tish issue because you've been talking about this regularly now on social media and you've done a video also by the way i love that video uh, that you did on this uh, the one with uh, what was the name of the gentleman rahul or uh, raghav 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 yeah so i saw that uh, chat it was an excellent chat so i recommend everybody to go and watch that it was an excellent excellent discussion so as of now i mean uh, let's say assuming somebody has not seen those this papers so can you let us start like this. So what has exactly happened in Tata Institute of Social Sciences? Because you've shared a number of papers. So what exactly is happening? Well, I simply came across these MA dissertations and other academic work in Tata Institute of Social Sciences uh, in the last six, seven years, up until the March of 2021. All of them are on Kashmir. All of them present the same narrative genocide denial, terror denial, ethnic cleansing denial, whitewashing, justifying the ethnic cleansing of Hindus in Kashmir. And all of them call India an occupier, a colonial state occupying Kashmir. Uh, The first paper which I shared was particularly hilarious because it was allegedly on the domestic violence. It was done by Gender Studies uh, Center of TIS Hyderabad. And it is trying to understand the domestic violence in Kashmir society. And it goes on to say that, you know, the patriarchy in Kashmir is the patriarchy of resistance uh, because it is in response to foreign occupation by India and, you know, other people. (laughs) So patriarchy uh, is good in this paper. I don't know what she's trying to say, but she's saying that the uh, patriarchy in Kashmiri society has nothing to do with the social evolution of thousands of years. I mean, I I think I think she 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 has overturned the entire field of anthropology and even sociology, saying that the root cause of patriarchy in Kashmir is the occupation by India, Indian state, and the root cause of domestic violence in the Kashmiri families is because India India is occupying that uh, uh, reason. So if you want to end the domestic violence, you know, if you if the husband is beating the wife after getting drunk or something, the, the reason is by reason is that India is occupying Kashmir, so India should get out of it. Uh, the title was very interesting, which caught my attention was, uh, you know, which used the words Indian occupied Kashmir. That is a word used by no one else, no one else except radical jihadists, Lashkar e Taiba, ISPR, and Pakistani government. Even Pakistani government often uses India administered Kashmir. 
right? Uh, it's not that always they. It's not that they always use India occupied Kashmir. So what is happening there? And that was the first thing. Then you have the other uh, so-called academic world. All of them are peddling a homogeneous separatist propaganda. All of them calling for disintegration of India, balkanization of India. All of them are peddling the separatist narrative. All of them are extremely hostile towards India. And all of them have no other viewpoint except a very hardline radical Islamist agenda. So uh, uh, that, you know, I simply tweeted those uh, papers. I mean, those are public papers anyway. So why should I not tweet about them? Now, some people are saying, oh, why are you making them target of the trolling? And some people have said this to me. I say, I mean, they're not even present on social media. So who is trolling them, by the way? Right. And I'm not trolling any one of them. I'm not even asking. I don't even care who these people are. My question is simply to the government of India. That this is a state funded institution. Why are you funding and legitimizing the studies which ask for the disintegration of India? That's 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 a, that's an irony, right? Uh, you are sending soldiers to die in Kashmir and then you're funding studies which are peddling the separatist agenda. What does it mean? So my question simply, if any, was to the government of India and the Indian state. I think there's a ethical uh, point out there that should state-funded institutions carry out anti-state propaganda? That's a very important question. Now let us unpack this one because this is the moot point. So when we discuss something like, I, I purposely called this podcast the limits of academic freedom because there are, there are certain things that get discussed in academia that, how do I put it? sometimes may sound absurd to the ones sitting outside academia but maybe it has something to do with uh, something relevant but in this case now i have struggled to understand this one uh, everybody knows my stand on free speech i've always been a advocate of free speech uh, to the to the you know chagrin of many people over here who kind of dislike my stand too uh, especially when it comes to freedom of expression but you raise a very valid point the point is that the freedoms that you and i and each and every citizen of this country enjoy are guaranteed by the constitution of india the constitution of india is only alive till the territorial integrity of this nation is in, is intact the territorial integrity of this nation is only intact Till the people of this country believe in the story of India and the constitutional uh, system. Now, when you write papers that call for the balkanization of India, my first question to these people is that do they believe in constitutions or not? If they don't believe in constitutions and they believe in India breaking into different, you know, regions, like I I've seen weird, um, you know, thoughts on social media where somebody calls it Dravidistan, somebody calls it Mughalistan, somebody calls it Khalistan, somebody calls it what, somebody calls it what. Then there are the Akhand Bharat folks also, by the way. <laughs> so uh, there is uh, there are all kinds of people. But my point is that our freedoms are guaranteed by the constitution. So Abhinav, in this case, how the hell, don't you think there is a direct conflict of interest where, I mean, who in their right mind in the Indian state thought that I should fund these people so that they write papers on how the very constitution should be destroyed? Uh, first of all, Kushal, we need to uh, separate two things out here. One is the academic freedom in fields like science, economics, and so on. Right? Uh, I don't think that if you are going against the established science, you are publishing something which goes against the, let's say, the theory of Einstein, that 
poses any problem. Or in economics, if you are saying that, well, this theory doesn't work, that theory doesn't work, this is a, some absurd kind of a theory which might work. I think there's no problem in that. Then there is the academic freedom we are talking about in the social sciences per se, like humanities, to be very specific, which has real-world consequences which can actually harm people, right? Now, remember what these people are talking about. These people are propagating the agenda of the radical Islamist separatist asking for balkanization of India. Do you think it is going to happen one day because, you know, people of India and, you know, the government of India will go and do uh, hello, hi to the lashkar e and other people and say, well, we decide to separate today. No, it's not going to happen like that. It's going to be a bloodbath. Millions of people will die, right? And if Kashmir goes, what will happen to the Muslims in India? Do you think Muslims in India will be able to live in India if the Kashmir is given to Pakistan or some other place? Because what is the logic? The logic is Kashmir is a Muslim majority province. And if the Muslim, uh, <clears throat> if, if there is any Muslim majority province, it can't remain part of India. What does it, uh, uh, what does it tell to the other parts of the country? What does it tell uh, about the future of the Muslims in other parts of the country? Do you think that they will be able to live in India, right? So these people have no brains. They are, they don't know what they're doing. And, but their words, their actions, and if this narrative gets hold, let's say if it becomes powerful, it will have real world consequences of millions and millions of people dying. So it's not just the question of academic freedom, it's the, it's the question of human life as well. Second point, <clears throat> you said about the rights, you know, these people harp a lot of, on uh, freedom of expression and this freedom, that freedom. First of all, there's no freedom of academic work anywhere in the world. There's no fundamental right of academic work, right? There's, there's a, a right uh, of freedom to expression. But there is no universal right in the world. It's, it's a myth, right? There is no right anywhere in the world except the one which is written down and guaranteed by the state. It's not even the constitution. It's the state which gives you the right. As simple as that. People who don't get these basic things, I think they're living in a lala land. You destroy Republic of India, you destroy Indian state. Whom are you going to ask to implement your freedom of expression and freedom to religion and whatnot? Who, right? If you, if you have no nation states, no state, forget nation state, if you have no state of any kind, who is going to enforce your right? These people are living in some kind of hallucinating world where they think that someone else from the you know, Mars or someone else from some other part of the universe will, will come and enforce their right to freedom and all these things. So freedom to write, your freedom to life, your freedom to everything is dependent on the existence of the state. In this case, Indian state. If you destroy that, there is nothing left. I mean, you can, you can say, well, there is a brave new world. We can create something new. We can do this and that. But yeah, when tens of millions of people are going to die, perhaps you can do something. But I think you will only end up getting an ISIS or something in Kashmir. Right? So uh, that is the other point. The third point is that there's a clear conflict of interest. <clears throat> you know, uh, and this is a problem in this country. Uh, many, much of your humanities are controlled by extreme radical left. It's not even left wing, it's extreme radical left. And people laugh and people say there, there's something called urban nuxus, but there are urban nuxus, right? You just be very, very clear. And uh, anyone who's observed the academia can tell you this thing. Uh, uh, you know, even the mainstream, let's say the people who are, who are on the left of the center, or even let's say the communist party per se, they say I'm a communist and I sympathize with communists. Even they are not the one often who are asking for balkanization of India. There's a specific set of people, radical left, uh, which argues for this thing. And remember, uh, it's not just the Kashmir. They argue for separation of Northeast from India. They argue for separation of uh, 
tribal lands from India, the central tribal land in India. They argue for separation of Punjab. They argue for separation of Tamil Nadu. They want Kerala to be independent. They want India to cease to exist. And this is what people fail to understand in this country. Uh, they fail to understand that this far left ideology, this Naxal ideology, Maoist ideology, even to a great extent, the communist ideology itself, it believes that the root cause of all evil in the Indian subcontinent is the, uh, you know, existence of Indian state. Because Indian state is this imperial power which needs to be destroyed for different nationalities to become free. It's only when different nationalities will achieve freedom and independence, only then the problems can be resolved, right? So this paper is also saying the same thing. Remember, the domestic violence issue in Kashmir can be resolved only when India leaves Kashmir. So this is something which we need to understand, which you often fail to understand. Then when people go and say, Ajadi, Ajadi in the streets of Delhi, and when you say, what kind of Ajadi you're talking about? So they say, well, Bukmari Sajadi, Garibi Sajadi. Uh, hold a second. You know, they are saying right. But in their worldview, in their theoretical worldview, the Bukmari Sajadi, the Garibi Sajadi can only come when India is destroyed. Right? Mm. When there is no India. This is often people fail to understand. And they look, listen to the great slogans, Dhapli and that fascist song of Azamat <laughs> Faz, Ham Dekhenge and whatnot, which is an which is a nice song, but it's an Islamist song. It is an icon, uh, iconoclastic song, especially in a country like India. Uh, uh, it's amazing me. The people who are so sensitive about culture, those people who are woke, how can you say this thing? Because this means this, this means this, this means that. So it is offensive. Ham Dekhenge, the song is offensive to Hindu population of India, culturally, right? It's asking mm -hmm. for destruction of temples and idols and so on. It yeah. might be a good song to sing in Pakistan, in an Islamic country, because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mixture of uh, Islamic supremacy and the communist ideas. Fine, are, be, they can be happy about it. But you can't sing the song in India and say, if people object to that song, and you can say, well, uh, you are fascist or you are bigoted. I mean, you are the bigoted who are singing the song. But this is the point out here. The people fail to realize that what is happening. And these kind of academic work normalize it normalize it it makes a normal thing you know you know when the great countries fall the great federations when they decline it they hardly decline because someone has come outside from outside and attacked you it declines because people start believing in what you call localization you know that localization mm. leads to destruction of states well how does it matter what is happening in up i live in gujarat how does it matter what is happening in Bengal? Let there be post-poll violence. I have to live in, you know, uh, Maharashtra. I'm earning my money. That localization destroys the state. And this is what is happening out here, that they are promoting in the name of uh, regional autonomy, in the name of federalism, in the name of this right, that right. This idea that somehow, when you know, India doesn't matter. There is no loyalty towards the Indian state. Indian state, in fact, is the evil. So this is the thing which people fail to realize. And I think uh, we need to think seriously about what is happening in the social science departments of this country. So I mean, I'm going to try and give you, give you the devil's advocate because I think it is my duty to give you that. Now, what if somebody came back to you, Abhinav, and told you, yeah, Abhinav, these are just obscure weirdos. Who cares? Who pays attention to them? I'm just trying to give you all the possible arguments that might be presented because that is the whole point, right? We need to take 
all the arguments head on so maybe one of the arguments might be yaar abhinav ye obscure papers hote hain inko to koi test mein bhi nahi padta hai who really takes these people seriously what pull do they have in society etc etc so what do we say to that kind of an argument first up abhinav uh sorry you were saying that uh, these people are obscure people and who bothers about their opinion yeah. so i have heard these kinds of arguments so it's my job to present all of them to you well i will give you another uh, example uh, pe- the same people say the same thing about the rulings of the sharia court you know in india you have fatwas and sharias and so on uh, and they keep on giving sharias and say well why do you bother about the sharia uh, uh, rulings or these fatwas these are obscure mullahs and maulvis sitting somewhere in deoband and what doing whatever how does it matter but it matters it matters because first of all it has real impact on the lives of the people second second is that is the legal opinion it, it, they may not have the power to enforce it but when the court when the case goes to the court then according mm-hmm. to the islamic law in, because the, we we have the uh, muslim personal law and all those things that has an impact that has a legal value maybe not the fatwa of that mullah but the interpretation of the law which the court will do will rely heavily on the uh, works done by devband and other seminaries so it has an impact coming to the academic work of this kind it has an impact because it creates a literature this literature then becomes the reference uh, uh, in, in some in some other work this reference uh, uh, is used in some other uh, report now this kind of reference will then become uh, you know available for use in the congressional hearings in america and so on these things and mm-hmm. those books will then become the source of reference from some other works so it establishes a truth in the long run it establishes a truth and even in these books you can see that because all the references in almost all of these studies are of the separatists uh, the people are of the people who live in america who are closely associated with isi who peddle a certain kind of agenda who are accused of also funding the uh, violent uh, militant and terror activities in jammu and kashmir those are the people who are being referenced in these studies now you can see that that in the case of kashmiri pandits all mm-hmm. of the study are dismissing kashmiri pandits in the history of kashmir according to these studies there is no hindus right and all of them are saying that kashmiri pandits were you know they simply left kashmir this person that they migrated from kashmir they decided mm-hmm. to migrate from kashmir there is no mention of terrorizing uh, terror activities how kashmiri pandits were harassed how their neighbors turned against them and they had to leave and so on nothing because why now they can go back and say well i have referenced this thing it is based on that book right mm-hmm. now what the the work they are doing now will become referenced in some other book and it becomes a truth so india occupied kashmir will become a truth and established academic truth which will then influence policy which will then influence lots of thing which will also influence the minds of the people and the general discourse so it does matter i don't take thing, these things lightly what is happening in academia what is happening in these things even by some obscure person especially if it's happening in a state funded institution and has the legitimacy of the state because see when you are awarding a degree based on that it has the legitimacy of the state it has serious repercussions for the future all right so abhinav i'm going to take the live viewer questions later on so let's uh, uh because already a couple of questions have come in mm-hmm. um now here's the thing 
what if this was the same paper i'm just putting it out to you a, a, written by a student or a phd student whatever masters phd in a completely private funded institution the government is not funding anything here the government has nothing to do with it not even a single penny of the government is used even the electricity of this is particular school is not subsidized under some education quota i'm just creating all the hypotheticals what happens in that case then avinav that the government has all the right to derecognize that institution you can't legitimize it by giving approval of the ugc and other things you just can't do that as simple as that you want to become a ranjit roy go and become on your own money do whatever you want to do i don't care i mean if you are doing something illegal the government will take care of it the law enforcement will take care of it but you can't have a degree on that thing which is state legitimized or state approved this is my bottom line if ashoka university let's say is doing this thing the government can simply ugc should derecognize any degree given by ashoka university let them have their private degrees who cares yeah but how do we go about derecognizing them right i mean look you have to understand universities have departments now can can a single paper or 20 papers out of obscure departments in some corners of universities uh, i i think these people are the unhireables i always call them the unhireables you know nobody is going to hire them these people are you know blood sucking vampires who sit in university campuses for years is because thodi bahut phd ki stipend mil jayegi aur wahan pe campus mein reh reh ke uske upar hi zinda rehte hain aur wahan pe matlab these are basically professional agitators their whole life is about you know finding a thing to agitate about now in that case do you think a state can take such a harsh decision of derecognizing an entire university maybe you know that private university has done cutting edge research in science and technology and it's just that the nature of social sciences and humanities is that you end up having all the weirdos in one place well then at least derecognize those departments don't give degree Oh, I'm very clear. I mean, you might, you, you. I know you are a free speech absolute, absolutist, but I'm not. I, I don't believe that free speech is the only thing which is responsible for growth of society and civilization. It's not. Freedom and liberty are just part of the game. There's also discipline. There's also order. There's also authority. There's lots of things which have played the role in the growth of civilization and stable societies that we see today. So I don't attach any fetish to freedom of expression. If it is going against the very existence of the state. i think the state has all the authority all the right to defund derecognize if yeah, but that's if fine you, you, but you, you you are saying that well they're doing some great research in some other field right i'm sorry that's not an excuse some other institute can also do that great research but the cost of some some great research the cost of some you know additional economic value cannot be the existence of the state itself that is my point yeah but how does one define at the end of the day these things have to be won in the court of law whether we like it or not and when these things will go to the court of law how are we going to define how does a court of law actually understand or weigh in the threat or the perceived threat of such thoughts to the state so let me draw another analogy for you now at the end of the day in my opinion let's say you know i'm not saying the indian state is and and unabashed evil i certainly don't think that but the point is the state does 
does do some evil acts from time to time. It does. The problem with such a scenario is that it's such a tightrope to walk on that if you give the state a leeway to do this, the state will misuse the law for sure. And then actual good academic work where you may need to criticize the state and its actions will get muzzled under the garb of national security. So how do you deal with that then? Two points. Why will it go to the court of law? Is the government jailing those people? Is this government filing an FIR? I don't think so. I, I don't think it's the business of the court to tell the government which department to fund, which department not to fund. If the judiciary is doing that, I'm sorry, the government should push back against the judiciary. I don't think if, if government decides to defund this gender studies department in this, I don't think court has any uh, authority or any power to dictate the government to keep funding that department. Like that's, that's a matter of policy. The the court can only only look that whether that you know there are procedural inconsistencies and so on. But if I say I don't want to fund this institution anymore because just I don't want to do it, I'm the government. I can do it, right? I don't think court has any power out there. Second point, uh, you are saying the states can misuse the law. Well, then let's have no law. This is a very futile argument which you keep hearing from time to time. Not just in this case, but in other cases, every law can be misused. But that is the point out here. What is the red line? The red line is calling for balkanization of India. The red line is calling for, uh, you know, destruction of India. The red line is uh, delegitimizing the Indian rule. That's it. I'm not saying that you have to go. Let's say, let's say this. There was a study which says there is uh, civil right violations in Kashmir. Let's say there are lots of studies like that. Let's say there's a study which says there is police brutality in Kashmir. Fine. I'm not going after it. Right. But when you are saying India occupied Kashmir and in the same paragraph, you're saying Azad Kashmir or Pakistani administered Kashmir. I don't think it is an academic work at all. I just don't think it's a handout from the intelligence intelligence agency from the Pakistan. Maybe not to the girl, not to the professor, but it's a sophisticated network from where these ideas are seeping in. France is taking it very seriously. Why shouldn't India? Yeah, but do you think a country like France would stop academic papers that talk about uh, secession? I really doubt it. I have my doubts. I don't think so. Uh, France or America would ever stop a single paper that talks about secession because they believe in the strength of the French state and the American Union. They actually believe in them. I have seen enough ridiculous papers being published in American academia that call for the separation of Texas, the call for the separation of California. It's an actual movement there, a proper movement there. But they don't. Now, I get your point of view, but I'm just stating that this will fly by easily in those countries, in academia. I, I, I'm not defending it. I'm just stating the fact that I have seen and I've read papers which are absurd to the core, but they are. Yeah. So my point is, uh, India cannot afford to do what the European countries do. They are two different countries. They have two different trajectory. India is a post-colonial country. Our security environment is completely different. The state formation in India is very, when you talk about the Republic of India, is much more younger than the much more stable states of the Western Europe or America. We can't afford to do what they want to do. And I don't see any reason to copy their model as well. I'm simply saying that no, after a point, no state, no government 
tolerate these things. Uh, we, you know, in America, in America, they, they never allowed the communists to grow beyond a point. It was an official witch hunt of the communists. I'm not saying do that in India, but at least you cannot promote these things using the state-funded institutions, right? And this free speech, again, it might, it might suit the French Republic. It doesn't suit India. The cost of uh, destabilization, if caused by this kind of free speech, is much more, much more higher in India because of, let's say, the historical trajectory of how the state has evolved in this region. So I don't think we can just to uphold the ideal of the great free speech without any limit. We can jeopardize the lives of the millions and millions of people in this country. These are very real things. These are not theoretical things, right? If, if you go and say that tomorrow you allow uh, someone to play Muhammad Ali Jinnah again in this country, and to call for a partition of India, and this he's a free speech, and this is free speech, so you allow him. I don't think we should allow it because the cost is too high, first of all, right? So, uh, as we are coming from very different positions, Kushal, you believe in free speech in absolute sense, I don't. Yeah, but how can you even stop it? You can't stop thoughts, right? <laughs> you can't stop them from coming out, right? Don't give it legitimacy. I'm not saying stop the thought. You can't. You shouldn't be giving legitimacy. You shouldn't be funding these departments, these studies. You shouldn't be giving degrees which are legitimized by the Indian state. Defund and de-recognize. This is what I'm saying. See, I'm not Fair even enough. saying that you you go after those researchers. Let them rant, write whatever they want. I mean, I'm not going after them. I don't even bother about them. My funda is that why is the state doing it? All right. So now let me take a few questions. So actually, Pratisha has asked a couple of good questions here actually three. So Pratisha's first question is that one is that there is a peace and conflict studies department and conflicts in the Indian context are secessionist and violent in nature. How is a student supposed to engage in it while following all these red lines unless it is mandated that this department will only tow the state line? That is a beautiful question. Now, how do we work around that? Could you please flash it on the screen? Okay, let me see. I, 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 she's DM'd it to me, so I don't have it over here, so I can't flash it on the screen. So if you want, I can type it and paste it. No, no, no. You, you, re you just read it again, please. Yeah, so she says uh, there is a peace and conflict studies department, and conflicts in the Indian context are usually secessionist and violent in nature. How is a student supposed to engage in it while following all these red lines, unless it is mandated that this department will only tow the line of the state, that is the government. Well, if you, if in the name of peace and conflict study, you are advocating, if your introduction starts with India as an occupier, that India is an imperial power, that India should vacate this peace, and you end with the same thing, I don't think that that's an academic work. I'm simply saying that's not an academic work. That's propaganda, you know, and in these studies of this, it's clear propaganda because it starts with the same thing. It starts mm -hmm. with the homage to the balkanization of India and disintegration of India. I don't think that's an academic work, right? You can go and do nuanced studies. Lots of people do it. And lots of studies done by even by the, uh, uh, you know, different think tanks funded by the government. I don't have a problem if you're going, let's say, to Nagaland and saying, talking about the Naga perspective. But if your conclusion, if you're saying, well, I stand for Azadi and separation of Nagaland. I don't think you should be allowed to do that in a state-funded institution. All right. So, so you draw the line on the state-funded institution. Also, so, uh, the state-recognized institutions. Okay. So, you can, you cannot have a degree. You cannot have a degree legitimized by the UGC 
if you are yeah. saying that well <laughs> like I, i stand for i stand for azadi of this azadi of that sorry you uh, have to go the straight line or search for search for yourself yeah actually country. i actually find it funny imagine <laughs> actually imagine a scenario sir aapki masters kis mein hai sir meri masters peace and conflict mein hai acha aapne peace study kiya tha ki conflict study kiya tha sir conflict ma'am mera mera masters aur phd isme hai ki main bharat tere tukde honge inshallah inshallah <laughs> So actually true I, I get where you're coming from uh, okay she has asked another question so the second point she wanted to know was is that what are the other red lines and how far will we go many people consider ecological critiques of development as anti-national will that become propaganda against the state if we study such subjects this is again a very good point No, no, it's not a good point. It's it's, it's a rhetorical. It's, it's simply rhetoric. Uh, many people consider it to be international. I don't think that has any uh, definition at all, right? If in the name of ecological study you are saying that India is destroying the ecology, India should be destroyed, then that's the red line. The red lines are very clear. There is no cause of any confusion, right? Uh, red line is very clear. You are calling for. uh disintegration of india balkanization of india you are calling for overthrow of the indian state you are calling for the overthrow of the indian government in a violent revolution that's the red line as simple as that many people will have different opinions on anything ecological development cultural i don't care and i don't think that the state should regulate those kind of studies and state anyways doesn't regulate those kind of studies in india but here where you can see a clear consistent propaganda Now, in the case of test question, what is academic freedom? What what kind of academic freedom is this, where you have only one kind of view? The academic freedom should bring out diversity, but there is no diversity, right? And you ask anyone who studied from the test, even the Raghav said that there is nothing else that students can write except India occupied Kashmir. That's the state of academic freedom. So I don't think this is the academic freedom. And when people in India often talk about academic freedom, you know. the state should not intervene in the universities and so on they actually mean the state should not do anything the state should not implement the indian laws in that liberated zones because we are running our own fiefdom in that campus sorry i don't have any loyalty to the to the feudal lords of the universities i have loyalty only to the india okay this is very interesting so i want to stick on this part about academic freedom you made a very valid observation that since when did academic freedom only become the point of displaying the balkanization of india point of view so i i have a question abhinav so you are part of the education system so let's say if i wanted to write a paper on how and why akhand bharat is a sound strategy and why india should invade pakistan then india after invading pakistan should invade bangladesh then because india is bored it should invade nepal myanmar and all and even sri lanka we will devour the whole damn area will a university allow that kind of paper <laughs> you have answered your own question there is no academic freedom right <laughs> you just answered i think you just made the point clear that you you won't be allowed to do that and this is what this is this is the fraud of academic freedom you know when when people talk about academic freedom in these institutes they they only mean uh you know lack of uh, diversity they only mean uh, homogeneous propaganda when they talk about critical thinking they just mean everyone thinking in the same manner towards the same end when they talk about dissent they only mean talking anti state and 
peddling the propaganda of the hostile agencies of the hostile states. This is what it is ultimately. I, I know many, many people forget this. This is this is a much more radicalized version of the JNU. JNU is still far better. In JNU, people are not allowed to do things, uh, research even on something as simple as that how in the history, the, the pilgrimage, uh, the Hindu pilgrimage uh, promoted an idea of uh, a community or idea of belonging to the same country. You're not allowed to do that in JNU. I know, I know. The person is now working in Bihar, as I think, in in some, uh, uh, I think, he, he, state service or center service. He became a bureaucrat. He proposed this thing in his center in JNU. He he was told, mm-hmm. "Oh, this is too Hindu." Eh? <laughs> what the yeah, hell is he, too he Hindu? Told, say say, someone said this is this is very BJP type, right? And some eh? some other professor said that you know. Why are you talking only about the Hindu pilgrimage? Why not Muslim? Why not Christian? Why not this? Why not that? I mean, he might have also added communist pilgrimage and all. So the the point is, there is no academic freedom. He's not allowed to do that. So I told them that, please go and say the Dynac has done a similar kind of work in Harvard University. Now imagine you can do such works in Harvard, but you can't do that in India. So he went there, then then still they didn't allow him. On something as simple as this, and what you're talking about, Akhand Bharat and whatnot, there is no academic freedom. It's a fiefdom, it's a mafia, which imposes a particular viewpoint. And this is why they fear the democratic scrutiny. This is why they fear the public gauge. This is why they fear the intervention or audit by the government. So this is very interesting <laughs> that these people write these absurd papers where they openly talk about secessionist uh, thoughts and and balkanization of the Indian state. And and I have to give it to them. They have weird ideas, but they come up with multiple ways of how they will separate India. agreement But the point is, shouldn't the state... Now, this is where I might disagree with you. Should the state be banning them? Or should the state be telling them that you will have to publish a counterfactual of each and every secessionist thought, if you want my funding, my funding is directly connected to presenting a counterfactual of each anti-India activity. Uh, you can't do that. I mean, that's that's uh, that's humanly not possible. If I'm, if suppose, if someone is writing an MA dissertation, you can't expect the person to write all the things, right? Uh, if you're writing a PhD thesis, you just can't do that. The person will take years and years to complete that. That's not going to happen. I think that's. That's again an idealistic way of looking at it. That doesn't work. So, Abhinav, don't you think at the end of the day in a society, we can't control beyond a point the state is incapable of controlling these people, right? So, kitno ko state control karegi? I get your point. Yes. No, no, no. Kitne log hai ye? How many people are there? It's just a small minority, a micro minority which has captured institutions, which bullies people, which imposes his agenda and pushes a certain kind of narrative. You de-recognize them, you defund them and let them do whatever they want to do. We will see how many people are there. Okay. But Abhinav, I'm in the mood of your parties. You're a teacher. You're a teacher. अभी इसको कैसे बोलेंगे तुम्हारे फेलो ट्रैवलर्स तुम्हारे फेलो कलीग्स टीचर्स ये क्या कर रहे थे झकमर आ रहे हैं <laughs> इतने टाइम से सारे टीचर व्हाट द हेल आर द टीचर्स डूइंग दैट दी 
because i'm telling you i'm reading some of the comments in the live chat some of these students are there matlab kuch students ne aise comment likhe hain ki kisi ne bola mohammad ali jinnah unke teacher ne bola liberal hai fir kisi ne bol diya india kashmir mein falana dhimkana kar raha unke teacher hai to the student aisa hi niklega na abhinav jaisa teacher hota hai because i told you the academy especially social science is under a control of a mafia is a mafia how can you have a department in which everyone thinks in the same way hmm. in, the, in the case of test in, in the case of test how, how is it possible that all the theses are all the dissertations are peddling the same narrative there is no objection why are other professors not objecting why is the dean not objecting why is the academic board not objecting to it why is even the administration not objecting to it because administration ko to karna hota na process they can they will at least read the title na india occupied kashmir why are they not objecting to it because everyone thinks the same way because it's academic in breeding because it's a mafia kind institution everyone is recruited based on is it's a party karyakarta is a cadre placement scheme is not academy anymore right so they will never object to these things and you are right uh there's a full blown denialism revisionism in the history jinnah was great a muslim league is not responsible for the partition hindu congress is responsible for the partition or you know you know orangeb is great you know there's a full blown thing going on because these things are being tolerated promoted by the state they all of them are state employees they are promoting these narratives they are promoting genocide denial they are promoting ethnic cleansing denial they are abusing a particular region the classroom i know in jnu in one of the departments uh, there was this guy uh, who came from bihar and uh, it, it, he went to his class some chinese department some chinese professor no chinese professor but indian professor of some chinese studies uh, chinese language basically he went there and he had tikka on his uh, forehead the professor the lady professor pointed to him in the class and say what is that weird mark on your forehead weird so mark on your forehead mark? yeah is is a tikka and he's a, he's a second year guy graduation because you have graduation in the uh, language uh, i mean he couldn't reply but he should i think he should have replied he should file a complaint against the professor and then in the same class you have because uh, uh, it's jnu so you have so, so many people sitting with religious mark islamic uh, you know uh, caps burqa hijab it's a free pass to them so they these these are there's a group which is doing religious targeting of the students which is discriminating which is uh, uh, you know pushing a particular kind of very bigoted far left agenda i don't think it should be tolerated i don't believe in free speech because they don't believe in free speech they don't believe in the the liberty of the people they just don't so uh, okay. let's not be very idealistic right you can't be idealistic uh, with the people who are hell bent on destroying you no no i i understand your point of view but again my my, my thing is that at the end of the day dekho main to teacher nahi hu i am just a student main meri life mein sirf student hi raha hu to mera perspective sirf ek student ka ho sakta hai teacher ka kabhi nahi ho sakta so, i tell so, you in my in my in my in my institute the next day of the pulwama attack the next working day of the pulwama attack there was this left wing activist he is a union leader he hardly takes classes but he is mostly uh, doing the left wing politics in the delhi university in the staff room he was justifying the pulwama attack saying that is the state sponsored terrorism which is a root cause of problem in kashmir and he was not willing to condemn the pulwama attack fair enough but again my question is that as someone who's like i said i have only been a student all my life abhinav 
आई स्टिल एम अ स्टूडेंट आई लाइक टू थिंक आई एम अ स्टूडेंट दाढ़ी सफेद हो गई मगर फिर भी हम स्टूडेंट है सो फ्रॉम अ लर्नर्स पॉइंट ऑफ व्यू अभी नाउ आई वुड वॉन्ट टू बी एक्सपोज टू अ होलिस्टिक व्यू नो मैटर हाउ साइकोटिक इट साउंड बट I want to know a secessionist point of view, but I want to be in an educational institute and an environment, Abhinav, where there is the the nation state's point of view, a sensible point of view, and then there is an extremist point of view. And I would love to learn both. Do you think there is any way of us creating a healthy educational environment? Because otherwise, how do we look? We only know what is good. when we put it against the bag so how do we know how do we create a healthy thinking environment for students like you're a teacher right so how do you think we do that then well what do you mean by extremist views uh, do you want to allow isis views as well in the campus i i personally think people anyways know the isis view these days thanks to social media <laughs> Yeah. So, do you think that should be taught in the class? Um, in the, the pro-ISIS view, and that degree should be awarded of doing PhD in the glory of the Islamic State? No, I think it should be taught as batshit crazy ideas. No, that's a different thing. But you're saying you want to have extremist views, so uh, all kind of views. So, do you want to have a positive view of ISIS? Is no, no, no. I'm saying no, 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 no. So, I'm saying that we can allow these views in the university as long as it is portrayed as a batshit crazy idea and then what happens to academic freedom to not to portray them as a batshit crazy idea maybe it should be allowed i think it could be allowed i i genuinely think but the problem is when only one side is allowed and the other side is completely shut off is when the problem arises my thing is that how do we make sure that it is healthy and there are all kinds of ideas there and then i believe in the battle of ideas the indian state and the territorial integrity of india will beat i isis and the tukde tukde group 99 out of 100 times it doesn't work that way that's a very idealistic view but the point is as we experience tells you in the tests and other places you wouldn't be allowed to have whole any other idea you see that in american universities as well there's only one kind of idea which is ruling the scientists are being hounded and thrown out of their job for saying something which some crazy woke doesn't like so it doesn't work that way in ideal view you have to have very clear rules very clear red lines which cannot be crossed number one in this case in the case of india you can't ask for disintegration of india period you might say well you can have debate on that forever i don't i don't care about that but it cannot be something which can be legitimized by the state the degree cannot be awarded based on it you cannot be a state employee if you're waging war against the indian state and if if you you can't be funded by the indian state you want to wage war against the indian state please go and pick up gun and fight i don't care the army and the police law enforcement will take care of it why should i care i mean i'm not going to stop you you go and fight if you believe in your idea just go to kashmir and join the lashkar e taiba why you're sitting in mumbai or hyderabad using the state funding using the state salary and then peddling the uh, propaganda of lashkar e taiba why that's not in academic freedom that's not the this one saying kushal this is not academic freedom this is propaganda this is political and information warfare but abinav again the problem is propaganda don't you think religion is propaganda depends maybe it is i mean from my perspective it is 
It is. But is, it, is it facing war against the state? I can tell you many religious texts too. <laughs> we do, don't want to but... get into it because we have laws in this country, but you know damn well what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the point is that are those uh, PhDs and other things in the religious study calling for disintegration of India? If they are, they should be banned. So, so for you, your non-negotiation, uh, non-negotiable is very clear. You can teach, write, do whatever you want to do as long as you don't challenge the territorial integrity of India. Am I? Uh, because I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm trying to understand your point of view with yes. as much clarity yes. as possible. Very clear. I mean, you can argue that India should become the Hindu Rashtra or a communist state and whatever. I, I, that's fine. But as long as you are not saying that India should cease to exist, that's fine, in my opinion. So that's a fair point, Abhinav. I understand that the line for you is the territorial integrity of India, but we know damn well, Abhinav, that in our country, the Indian state is <laughs> quite famous at basically taking, uh, when you give them a finger, they take your whole damn hand. So it's very scary for a person like me. Every time I see such a scenario, I get scared. But I get your point. When you, you are very clear. No, brother. If the Indian state is not there, then nothing will remain. university will not remain. Nothing will remain. So keep the state alive. I get, I get what you're saying. But the point is, I always get worried because the state never stops at that. I have seen many cases of the Indian state ruining things where i mean look at covid for that matter lockdowns are a classic case where itna sa diya abhi unhone pura khinch liya hai hamari sari rights le liye which is why the libertarian in me always hates the state i always get worried when the state tries to do this but then on the other side where you have a very valid point where you say bhaiya wahan pe koi academic freedom hi nahi hai tum kaun si freedom ki puri bech rahe ho duniya ko wahan pe tum agne so I don't think so. Any university department which does religious studies can ever allow a paper which teaches Bhagwan Sri Ram's point of view, I guess, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm yeah, pretty so sure you... about it. Especially when it comes to Hinduism, you just can't have any positive opinion, positive work on Hinduism in any of these academic departments. Yeah, so there you go. So th the problem is that they created the thought monopoly. Now under the thought monopoly and then they use the garb of academic freedom and then they literally call for the balkanization of the Indian state. And if we're going to call for the balkanization of the Indian state, then what else are we left to do it? It's a fair fair point. I, I hear where you're coming from, but look, we're friends and life would be boring if we agreed on everything. We've, we've disagreed on many things. So, but uh, but this is why I wanted you on because uh, I didn't. I wanted my podcast viewers to have that point. So, I mean, now I'm going to take a few questions uh, from uh, the live viewers. So, a lot of people have said, "Why?" Somebody has asked. Chirant has asked, "Why do Marxists have an affinity towards art, theater, poetry, liberal arts compared to right wingers?" Is that the case, Abhinav? Because they understand power, they understand society, they understand state much better than the so-called right-wingers. Mm -hmm. They understand that culture, art is the part of the hegemony. If you want to control the society, if you want to rule the society, you have to shape these things. When you're walking on the street, you are seeing some poster, you're walking on the street, you're seeing some 
artwork, you're walking on the street, you're seeing some painting that has impact on your thought process. So the Marxists understand these things. They understand power. The right wing, especially Hindu right, has zero understanding. Mm. All right. So I'll take another question now. So somebody has made a comment. So let's take your view on this. Just remove the stipend that will remove unnecessarily people from PhD department uh, study of, uh, you know, maybe PhD already in India, PhD was not helping uh, to get a specialized job. It only makes people overqualified for the job. So what the person is saying that if we removed the PhD stipend, a lot of people uh, would not be attracted to PhDs. What do you think about it? No, no, I, I disagree because of two reasons. Uh, if people are not getting job after doing PhD because the quality is low or something kind of that, then improve the quality, invest more in the PhDs and the research departments. Second point, if you remove the uh, uh, stipends, uh, you will only give a, a free run to the woke crowd, which mostly comes from the upper middle class or the rich class of the family. You see, most of the people who do all this kind of crazy thing, they're super rich. So they don't care about the stipends. They anyways have the money. Is the And you're going to punish the people who may not be doing such kind of thing, who may be coming from rural areas or small towns, who don't believe in this crazy woke ideas. Uh, third point, uh, in a country like India, which is extremely poor, where the access to education is so less, I think there's a great, there's a stronger case of funding education even more by the public money than defunding the education itself. So this is again, you know, misdiagnosing the problem. You're thinking that because uh, some people are coming and in this campus they're living for a few years and doing all kinds of nonsense. I don't think that's true. I mean, many people who do PhD in science and come up with great works, they, they also do all kinds of nonsense, you know, mm -hmm. smoking and you know, wasting their time and all those things. Maybe out in the last two, three years, they get serious and do some work. So let's not confuse one thing with the another. Okay, so somebody called Manthan has asked you a question. Abhinavji, is the Indian state that weak? He uh, Then he follows up or she follows up by saying that, I mean, after 1947, we have been able to hold Punjab, Kashmir, Northeast and included Goa and Sikkim. So, Abhinav, what would you say to that live viewer? Why do you want to keep testing whether the Indian state is weak and strong? Why do you want to keep <laughs> on creating more situation uh, you know, uh, where India has to test its uh, stability. Second point, yes, state, stability, order, they're artificial things. They're not natural. The natural state of human society is chaos, violence. Uh, there is the, 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 throughout the human history, the stability you see, uh, which only comes when the state is created, is mm -hmm. an exception. That's not the norm, right? Mm -hmm. So whether Indian state is strong or not, it just hangs by, you know, a thread. The balance is very fragile. And it doesn't take, uh, you know, the things to collapse, society, societies to collapse. Look at Syria. How many months mm. did it take for Syria to collapse? It was a pretty stable state in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So let's not, uh, you know, give into over-optimism, I would say. The things can collapse very, very soon. All right. So now another one. Uh, Tanmay says, Abhinavji, Arundhati Roy has been speaking against the Indian state since time immemorial. She is at best laughed at. Do you think you're being uh, or you're giving too much importance to these obscure PhD students? 
I think we have answered this question in the beginning itself. Anurag Roy is not being funded or legitimized by the state. These people are. These people are creating literature, which will become the reference point. Will have the full legitimacy. Their lies and propaganda will become the established truth. Fair I think we've discussed this thing in much detail. Yeah, 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 yeah. So somebody has asked a question for me, Kushal Bhai. Would you accept discussions on justification of Jewish genocide in Western universities? You are towing a very delicate line. Tanmay, it already happens. I don't need to tow that line. I'm just informing you. <laughs> it already happens in Western universities. You just have to go to their crazy departments, and you'll find some weird, obscure papers, even talking about how the Jews had it coming, and some obscure right-wing, private-funded universities who are alt-right, who hate. the jews you have no idea how free speech works in america you'll be surprised all right these two are very i don't know how to put them so the handle who has asked this question abhinav is called test test so i don't know so i'll read out the question mujhe samajh nahi pada main tumhe puch raha hu iske liye main outsource kar diya tumhe manusmriti or the quran has a lot of anti constitutional stuff written but millions consider them sacred and no one bats an eyelid so would you allow a hindu ruler to start an ashwamedha yagya against the indian state of course not plain answer no yeah but how do you balance the religious freedom argument then abhinav there is no freedom which is absolute the religious freedom means the moment you start waging war against the state your freedom comes from the state from nowhere else Yeah, but the point is, the freedom comes from the state. This is a very deep argument, Abhinav. Uh, the left believes that the freedom comes from the state. The right in America believes these are natural, boy, unalienable natural rights from nature. Yeah, Somewhere, from the nature, se nikala. Unhone bola. मतलब the the conception of freedom in the American right wing that is pro free speech is very different from the American left wing. They believe these rights are actual natural unalienable rights. Nobody can take it. The state. is not giving me those rights the state is just protecting those rights so there's that's a huge a, that's difference that's a lie that's a lie they want to believe in they can i mean that those natural rights do not work in china after all there's nothing <laughs> natural about these things so these are artificial constructs if you think your religious right gives you the i mean the jihadists think the same way that their their religious uh, uh, you know uh, is their religious duty in fact not just the right to wage war against india i mean we don't allow that we not allow any religion to do that okay i don't know what this question has to do with today's discussion but i'll ask regarding the isis brides will the whole argument of allowing them change when we take into consider the fact that isis declares proper war on india okay i'll i'll switch it around i'll make this question should somebody be allowed to write an academic paper in defense of the isis brides point of view <laughs> <laughs> well as long as they're not saying that well isis brides can come in india and wage war against india i can they can i think this is not threatening indian state this is not uh, you know uh, explicitly against the indian state so fine enough interesting Okay. These things should be decided on a case-to-case basis because you can have a general principle that we don't want to allow this kind of uh, work which goes against the existence of India as a, uh, you know, as a territorial state. Uh, but then, you, when it comes to different cases, you have to apply your mind, discretion, to say whether it fits into a definition or not. Okay, all right. Mrinal has asked you, will I, I mean 
how does one uproot the legacy of marxism which is still going in academia how does one uproot this like do how does one present a hindutva point of view in academia this is actually a good question ek hota hai ki ha theek hai ye territorial integrity inko band kar do magar agar hamare ideas ko hame aage lana hai to wo kaise kare abhinav in academia well start investing in social sciences uh, indians have not invested in social sciences hindus even less uh chinese are doing that chinese have invested heavily in the social sciences uh in the in the last 10 15 years we haven't uh, so first of all you have to increase funding of the social science departments you know and this goes contrary to what many people think that you know these are useless departments they need to be shut down no they shouldn't be because if india is not investing in social science departments of its own then you will be uh, under the complete uh, control of the social science coming from some other country as of now indian social science is completely dominated by the american country american universities whatever constructs good bad ugly complete garbage which is flowing from american uh, universities is coming to india which doesn't suits you like wokeism doesn't suits you uh, this kind of these kind of arguments of extreme liberty doesn't suit you right maybe it is america today maybe 100 years down the line it might be china Uh, whose social science will start dominating you so first of all start investing in your own social sciences work on the frontier areas of knowledge rather than reading classics again and again which is a huge problem in india people think that just by going back to 5000 year 2000 year 4000 year back they will attain the greatness that is not going to happen that is not happen anywhere in the world so invest in the frontier areas of the knowledge don't repeat the mistake of what the ming china did Ming China actually believed in the 15th century in the 16th century that by reading rereading the classics the ancient text we will discover all the wisdom we, we know what happened right so that uh, that that stalled the intellectual development and knowledge production in China west raced ahead so uh, invest more in social sciences that's the only way to do it all right so somebody has asked your opinion on this let's say we free the temples from state control and then those temples can be used to invest in major institutions uh, uh do you think that would be a good way to counter the stranglehold of marxists on indian academia well depends if you are able to do that second point is not just the production of the literature is what literature gets the state legitimacy mm. right so uh when the uh, marxists took over indian academy they were a very small group we often forget that they were a very small group it's just because they got they got uh, aligned with the state power they were able to capture everything and they become the members of all committees commissions they become the authority of all the institutions and they shaped the entire academy and their own image so it's not just the production of literature it's also the use of the state power and uh, when it comes to the indians and again specifically hindus and specifically hindu right i mean they have such a apathy towards the state they hate the state they don't understand the state power and its importance just because you do not know how to use the state power does not mean the state power is useless so that is another thing you have to keep in mind it's not just you might have great books you might have great work but is ultimately the audrey's work on orange jay will get prominence right oh, okay all right so again somebody has said did the cultural revolution in china in making uh, succeed in making the mathis i mean it's a mixed factor there are multiple answers there but manthan has again asked 
in terms of Kashmir, is Kashmir a lost cause for the Indic civilization? How do you convince 98% of the population who doesn't consider themselves to be Indian? I don't know any survey of Kashmir where Kashmiris, 98% of Kashmiris think they are not um, a part of India. See, this is the problem with uh, social media discourse. So I, I purposely read this question. You don't have any survey. I remember a long time ago, Abhijit Ayer Mitra was on my podcast and he said the last survey done, it was years ago. And at that time, a survey of attitudes of Kashmiris about whether they want to be a part of the Indian state was very much in favor of being part of the Indian state. But then this is the problem. Ideologues get the maximum uh, clicks and uh, you can't do anything. All right. Another question here is, so it was to me, but I'll take your opinion because my opinion is well known. So why are we supposed to cater to the American idea of freedom of expression? When has America become the beacon of freedom of expression? Do you think they are not or we should not copy the American idea of free speech, Abhinav? Of course, they're not beacons of free expression. They're not. They, they are much more sophisticated in controlling the thought. And when chips are down, they go after uh, the people in a very uh, crude manner. We, we have seen that in the case of McCarthy uh, period. We've seen that in the case of World War One and Two. They don't believe in free speech after a point when it threatens the existence of the state. And even now, they are very much sophisticated in how they control it. Right? Uh, recently, what is happening in America, this vocism and all, we have to, we will have to wait and see how it unfolds. But as far as American model, no, we should never copy Anglo-Saxon model. We should never copy American model. It doesn't suit such period, right? We are a completely different society. Take, for example, secularism. Secularism doesn't work in a multi-religious society like India. It's a failure. And India, secularism is a failure. Let's be very clear about it. Secularism works in a homogeneous Abrahamic society where you want to separate the state and the religion, as simple as that, right? If you are a largely Christian country like UK or France, you want religion and this priest and padres not to interfere in the state power, political, social issues. So you have secularism. In India, where the difference between two people is that what you eat, what you, how you pray, I mean, and, and those leads to violent clashes, you can't have secularism. It doesn't work. Okay? And we have only seen secularism in India has only bred, has only bred violence, has only bred all kind of unrest and very cynical politics. We're seeing that in Bengal as of now. So why do you want to copy a foreign idea? And secularism was imposed on India, very frankly speaking. There is no word, there's not a single word in any Indian language for secularism. It's an alien idea to India. Right? We cannot pretend that, well, we are secular, so this and that. We have never been secular in history. Let's be very clear. When were we secular? Never we, we were secular. We had dynasties in the Indian framework, which used to patronize different religions because the idea of religion itself was very different in India, right? But once you bring in a foreign concept, categories like religion, secularism, it doesn't work. And you see the chaos all around. Yeah, but India has never practiced secularism in the American or the French way ever. The Indian, what India calls secularism is garbage. What India calls... You are saying you are advocating the practice of secularism in the French or the American way. That's not possible. Because the secularism, how it is practiced in French and American way, has a historical evolutionary process in those societies. You can't mm -hmm. transplant that in India. You just can't do that. You're saying the state in India should start behaving the way the French state behaves. It's not going to happen. 
the state will break down as simple as that if you try to do that and the secularism which you practice in india is not secularism it's cynical politics it's not secularism by any way yeah, but i mean but, honest, but, honestly there is no evidence that the indian state will see that's your view that the indian state will break down i don't agree that the indian state will break down there is no evidence of that the point is very simple my view india needs more secularism not less secularism i'm more on the american side not on the french side i believe uh, the the state should not be interfering in people's lives the indian state interferes too much the, india is not a secular state india is actually a interfering state india is a marxist state india is actually yes, a proper a marxist, marxist state i think it is so well, there's a different debate but i'm just giving an example this you know you transplant an alien idea to india there i'm saying there is no word for secularism in any indian language you find me in any indian language a word for secularism why because this idea did not evolve in india because the because of certain reasons whatever your political trajectory your social evolution your social development is very different from what happened in france and america why do you want to copy cut copy and paste i mean certain things you can pick up if it suits you like uh, let's say if you say well we should guarantee certain rights to the people fine enough but those rights are defined in an indian way so you have freedom of expression but then you have restrictions on it right you don't have freedom of expression like you have in america or somewhere you don't have freedom to religion like you have in america or somewhere because you are then tailoring it to the indian uh, realities but this is what i'm saying there's no need to follow any model have your own model that's fair enough do see these are uh, debates that uh, that that are never going to be resolved because uh, what suits india and what does not suit india is never going to be resolved on this podcast at least i i don't believe that uh, india what india practices right now is called secularism i think india is a left wing authoritarian state whether people like it or not people don't want to admit to it india is a proper left wing authoritarian states whether it is whether it's in the realm of uh, uh, rights whether it's in the realm of freedoms whether it's in the realm of economic policies india is a left wing authoritarian state people don't like to admit it but you can judge it by any parameter it falls into that but but that 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 is fine some people believe that you cannot impose uh, uh, foreign ideas but then many ideas are foreign and they are imposed and some work some don't the the secularism that is practiced in india i will absolutely agree with you that uh, they have this secularism that is practiced in india is garbage i think it is it is sectarianism under the garb of secularism it is basically an alien thought in every sense it is alien even to the west i don't know from where we got this one <laughs> even the west doesn't have this third rated idea so i don't know what we're doing so one last question abina before we wrap it up so somebody has asked do you think the modi government um is dormant in uh, because of maybe covid and many things and maybe after covid goes away it might you know bring in some positive changes in the realm of academia and many of these uh, things like narrative building through academia see governments cannot bring change in academia it's only the people who can the government can at the best not fund and legitimize these kind of works and not appoint let's say outright hostile people who are hostile to you uh, uh to the government committees and all that's the only thing the government can do everything has to be done by the people right people like me and you uh, second point is that the the you know you don't use political power you don't hold political power to build narratives you have political power to change the ground realities 
a narrative should be built to uh, you know suit that change the process of change of changing the gr- ground reality i think we have need to understand what a state power is all about it's not about publishing some idiot articles in some newspaper or running third rate propaganda in the news channels is about changing the ground reality are we changing that we did that in kashmir right at least with article 370 you do it and propaganda and narrative will follow you might you may fail to build that narrative depending upon your competence but that's not the sole purpose of the state power so, so i have a follow up on this abhinav but in the case of academia don't you think we need funding from the government for example uh, indira gandhi how did she manage the emergency time she invested in academia she invested in people she gave them a free run to do what they wanted to do and give them give them piles of money and look where we are today so let's say the current government which is a non left government if it wants to invest in countering these people don't you think there has to be a huge push in the academia where money is pumped in and people see scholarship takes time right abhinav for me to write one paper i have to read 20 books for me to do one monologue I, there are times where i end up reading 30 books for preparing for one monologue which is going to be me speaking for 35 minutes i have to go to 35 books i have to look at references i have to look at papers It, these things take time right so don't you think the state actually has a very major role to play then it has a pivotal role you know we're talking of funding it needs to fund many many times over than it is doing now i've said that you know the government has to fund a lot especially the social science departments of this country but will the government do that i don't know i can't mm. answer on the behalf of the government or the party right so what i'm saying that you know but i I'll, i'll rather have the government changing the ground realities how does it matter if these people keep shouting about kashmir after a point right you do defund them derecognize them you change the ground reality in kashmir problem solved okay one last question abhinav and we will wrap it up do you think and this is just to you as an academic as a teacher do you think the future of education i'm i'm saying one or two decades down the line lies outside the contours of organized academic cabals where individual people will use the internet and educate people i don't think so because it will also always require the uh a requirement of certification requirement of some quality control a requirement of some legitimacy and that will again bring in the organized education system maybe in a more uh, disaggregated format more virtual format than the standard classroom universities but it will always be there all right okay uh, guys i think we'll wrap today's discussion up because it's already an hour and 15 minutes uh it it's uh it's an interesting chat obviously abhinav and i we we are we differ on some things on this one but that is the beauty of uh, having these discussions until and unless we don't hash these discussions out um all points of view will not be exposed and uh, hashed out so abhinav as always it's a pleasure talking to you and thanks a lot for coming on the podcast thanks a lot kushal it was wonderful chatting with you as always and thank you to the audience and uh, See you soon.
All right, guys, time to wrap today's discussion up. If you like what I'm doing over here, please subscribe to the channel, like the video, leave a comment over there. If you want to support the podcast, please become a member on the Charvak Podcast YouTube channel. All go to patreon.com slash charvak and become a subscriber on Patreon. You can send direct donations to Kushal Mehra at ICICI through UPI, or you can buy the Charvak Podcast merch. The aim of this podcast is to have non-clickbait discussions with the intent of learning from each other. Now, we know, and I don't agree on this subject, but this is how you discuss issues. Now, I went on Abhinav's channel and my views and his views were differing on the ISIS brides issue. But that's how life should be. Uh, I always say this. I, the best lesson of my life was given to me by a politician who I'll never name. But I was once having dinner with a politician and that politician told me the world would be very boring if we agreed on everything. And the beauty about having friends who you can have academic disagreements with is you always learn from them. So I hope you build on this culture all the time and have people around you that challenge your views all the time. I learn a lot from Abhinav all the time and I am going to constantly call him on the podcast to discuss many issues where we don't have to agree. So I hope you take this out from today's discussion. L wishing you all the best. I'll see you guys next time. Until then, take care. Goodbye.